You are listening to What in the Horror with your host Lando and Tim. Welcome back to yet another episode of What in the Horror with your host Lando and Tim. Today we will be reviewing Day of the Dead from 1985 and The Trees Have Eyes from 2020. So we'll start out with Day of the Dead. It takes place the woman named Sarah who's looking at her calendar on the wall and it's during the month of October and every day is crossed out while she gazes at the image of a pumpkin patch a dozen decayed arms punch out through the wall clutching at her she wakes up in the back of a helicopter she is a part of a four-person team searching for survivors of a gruesome crisis that began almost a year earlier a plague that had started mysteriously and eventually collapsed human civilization her sometimes lover private miguel salazar a overworked and nerve-wrecked soldier calls for survivors on a blowhorn as they stand on the edge of the street of this now decaying town amid the scattered palm trees a newspaper flows in the wind near a building its big bold headline says the dead walk the Undead or recently deceased have returned to life, attacking humans to devour their flesh, most of them becoming zombies, thus adding to to their population. No scientist, no army could contain or cure it. Now the only living creatures in the outside world are alligators, tarantulas, and land crabs that salvage remains in the streets of the city of the dead. The hundreds hordes of dead humans turn towards the bow horn cords, march towards the survivors like cattle, forcing the team to head back to their sanctuary. The helicopter lands almost out of gas inside the military compound, surrounded by a wired fence. An army of living dead have managed to find the posts and surrounded the gates, their numbers growing every day. The two Two more soldiers help secure the chopper, giving their new post times and afternoon break. Johnson, who reads the last two porno mags while Torres grows a garden of weed. John, the calm Jamaican pilot, and the radio operator Bill are anxious to get on the elevators, but not before urging the soldiers to fill the chopper with gas. Sarah notices Miguel is becoming increasingly stressed. He hasn't gotten out of the chopper yet and apparently wasn't aware they even landed. They descend into the underground sanctuary where they will not see sunlight again for days. Miller, another military officer waiting below for the results of the team's search. This time, he can tell it was another waste of time. While everyone has to stay in the cold, lonely complex, while John and Bill choose to stay in one of the trailers stored near the barricades. These are leading to miles and miles of caves occupied by bats and zombies. Major Cooper, the commanding officer who died earlier that morning, was buried above the complex near five other graves of men the unit has lost. The men have lost to the dangers of capturing the hostile specimens in the caves. Sarah and her group, Steele and Rickles, two more soldiers who are now in charge of the zombie collecting or Dr. Logan has requested two more guinea pig zombies for his experiments. Sarah and Miguel are asked by the two soldiers to go along with them. Though tired from a 12-hour search mission, they agree and off they go to the caves. At the capturing pen, Steele and Rickles both sexually harass 
Sarah verbally before the shell shot Miguel, who is, of course, oblivious. Then Steele, making his sexism clearer than ever, refuses to have Sarah handle the capture, and Miguel finally takes on the dangerous task to prove himself. He loses control of the pole, jeopardizing all the lives involved. Sarah manages to get the pole back before female zombie can bite Rickles. The hot-tempered Steel, enraged that his buddy Rickles almost lost his life, grabs Miguel, forcing him into the clutches of another caged zombie. Sarah orders him to let him go while aiming her Uzi machine gun at him. After all is said and done, two of the more of the specimens are brought back to the lab to be studied. Miguel ends up getting sustained by Sarah in his room. In the dining hall, Dr. Ted Fisher pleads for sterile equipment to conduct proper tests on specimens. He discusses this with the hostile Captain Rhodes, now in charge after Major Cooper's death, who is also beginning to question the research that has been going on for months. Sarah enters and asks that Miguel is taken off active duty for a while, but Rhodes refuses by claiming that he has no one to replace Miguel. Sarah and Rhodes get into an argument about Miguel's best interest before she and Dr. Fisher walk off. Throughout the day, Dr. Logan, who's also called Frankenstein by the other soldiers, works on a captured specimen, removing his chest and removing the organs and everything. When Sarah enters his dark operating theater to inform him of the meeting Rhodes has scheduled, he explains that the dead do not need to eat flesh out of hunger, but rather motor instinct. Another corpse is under a sheet. Logan reveals that this is one to be only a body with its face carved away, leaving only the brain exposed. With electrodes leading to a machine, Logan Logan begins shocking the corpse back to life. Sarah notices Major Cooper's clothes on the floor. Logan confesses that the faceless body is the body of Major Cooper and that he had switched the body with a specimen. He wanted a fresh corpse, believing his studies could be furthered. Captain Rhodes holds a 7 p.m. meeting with the remaining 12 of the group. Frustrated that he has already lost five soldiers, including a commanding officer, while capturing the dangerous specimens for their research, Rhodes makes threats to shut the operation down during the meeting in the dining hall. He is aware that the unit is low on ammo, food, medical supplies, and now his own men. McDermott explains that his radio equipment is outdated, and this makes the soldiers think that they may indeed the only survivors. When Sarah gets up to leave in the middle of the bickering between Steele and McDermott, Rhodes threatens to have her shot. In fact, he announces everyone who challenges his orders will be shot. None of this is taken seriously by the scientists who have gotten used to threats and the soldiers' depraved harassment. Later on, Sarah finds herself unable to sleep on the floor of the cubicle as Miguel lays in bed. By now, he must be awake. He leans over, and his whole chest has been surgically opened as he turns towards her with his entrails spilling out. Sarah is dreaming, of course. She wakes to find Miguel. Miguel is indeed up and waiting to hassle her about her fears. She tries to keep a secret. She finally loses it, screaming at Miguel to leave the room. Moments later, she wanders to the hall of the complex, nearly getting caught in the middle of a scuffle between 
the soldiers whose fight spill out into the hallway. She meets up with McDermott, who has been wandering the halls too. They head back to the Ritz, where the trailers are called. Serving Sarah drinks, John treats her to the relaxed Caribbean atmosphere he's created in the trailer. John also gives a lengthy lecture on how he believes that the creator has cursed mankind and that there can be no cure for zombification. So he urges Sarah to forget about the research and wants to leave before the soldiers lose it completely. The next day, Sarah finds Fisher frustrated that the specimens are not accepting a meat substitute called beef trees. Logan is trying to convince them that reward is the key to conditioning them. Bub, who is one of the specimens that seems to be under control, has spared him and shows him toothbrushes, razors, phones, books, tape player, unloaded gun. His docile behavior is unique among the zombies. Although Rhodes and the men are witnessing this progress, still thinks, still thinks these creatures should be all destroyed. The next day, there is another capture attempt. Miguel once again loses control of a female specimen old lady, unleashing her on an unsuspecting Miller who is bitten on the neck, his finger on the trigger of his machine gun, killing Johnson in the process. Sarah destroys the female zombie. Miguel is then thrown into a fit of denial, attacking the priest specimen, which takes a huge bite out of his forearm, forcing Miguel in historical shock. The priest is destroyed by steel. Sarah runs after Miguel, now fleeting towards John and Bill's area. Miller begs for Steel to end his life as he knows he will certainly become cursed with the living death. Steel looms over him and blows soldiers' brains out. John and Bill, hearing Miguel's cries, wait in the front of the Ritz as Sarah draws John's machete from his belt. Miguel is overwhelmed by a blow to the head and lay down. Sarah amputates his arm with one clean slice. After a hasty treatment, the soldiers led by Rhodes confront the three heroes ready to kill Miguel. John and Bill draw their guns to defend his life. Rhodes declares that there will be no more experiments and that the specimens will be destroyed tomorrow. Leaving her shaken, Sarah finally breaks down and John comforts her. Later that night, going back to the lab for medical supplies for Miguel, Sarah and Bill discover Johnson's decapitated head has been reanimated by Logan. Horrified, they follow Logan from the refrigerator room into Bub's room. There they witness the rewards he has stressed all along, the fresh remains of Miller and Johnson. Just as the two realize what Logan has done, Rose and the remaining soldiers appear behind them and drags the pleading Logan into the refrigerator to finish him off with a machine gun amidst dumped corpses of the military men killed in the capture attempts. He then orders the guns removed from Sarah and Bill, then out by the corral area, ordering John to get ready to fly. Rhodes fires a bullet into the head of Fisher to make his point. Rhodes orders Sarah and Billy into the cages leading into the zombie-infested caves. John refuses to go anywhere until they are released. Then they hear the sound of the elevator powering up. Steele and Rickles discover Miguel has taken apart the control box and that there is no way out of the complex now. 
They try to rewire it while Rhodes is attacked by John and knocked out. John flees with Rhodes' guns through the corral area to search for his friends in the cave. John yells for Sarah and Billy and kills many of the zombies in his pursuit. Rhodes finally wakes up and he and Torres head back to find Steel and Rickles after realizing they are without weapons. A few moments later, they would need any and all weapons they could get. The deranged and suicidal Miguel has escaped and opened the front entrance of the gate above the complex. He is savagely eaten alive as the elevator lowers, carrying the hundreds of zombies with it. The three remaining soldiers run for their lives, but are attacked and dismembered one by one by ten or more zombies at once. Until the one place, till the whole place is infested. Steel makes it to the complex where he finds the cowardly Rhodes head locked everyone out. Steel blasts open the door and enters, taking all the dead with him. He hides in the lab where Bub finds him, firing one of the weapons he found near the refrigerator room where he found Logan's dead body. Just as Steel reloads his weapon and has an opportunity to kill Bub from behind the door, he is reunited with a mob of zombies who have entered the room through another door. After he gets bitten on his shoulder, Steel commits suicide rather than suffer the fate of either being eaten alive by a mob of zombies or becoming a zombie himself. While John finally meets with Sarah and Billy near the silo, Rhodes desperately goes for his last bit of animation and has a final encounter with Bub still firing his pistol, who leads him to a door where a group of dead are waiting. In a few moments, the dead are all over the lab and storage rooms, feasting on the remains of the soldiers. Rhodes is torn apart, eaten alive, and his last words are choke on them. When the three survivors finally exit the silo, they see they see at least a hundred zombies marching towards them and the helicopter, which may or may not have any gas. John and Bill cover Sarah as she runs to the chopper door. She opens it and is only she opens it only to be greeted by another swarm of arms. However, this is another one of Sarah's dreams. She wakes up on some island with John and Billy fishing in the surf and birds overhead. On her calendar, she marks out November 4th, the Day of the Dead, according to Latin American folklore. And that's the end of the movie. So, yeah. What's your thoughts, Tim? No, I, it's a classic. I, I remember this one from before. Um, obviously, it's not got the new CGI and stuff, so all the gore and stuff was actually done. And there was a significant amount of gore in the um, Day of the Dead. So, yeah, um, cult classic for a reason. And yeah, I was actually quite happy when you suggested that you were, uh, this is going to be your movie for this week. And I was like, yes. Okay. So <laughs> I was pleasantly surprised. I'd say if you're an avid horror person or if you like classic horror movies, this is definitely right up there on the list. Yeah, that's my thoughts on it. Oh yeah, it was definitely a good movie. I mean, Rotten Tomato gave it an 81% with an audience score of 75. Google gave it an 87 this movie had a budget of $3.5 million 
and it made 34 million in the box office. Now, when it comes to my thoughts, as I've probably said in a previous episode, I love George Romero's zombie movies. I mean, he's made some amazing ones. There's some that a lot of people don't really care for, but I actually like them. I also loved the makeup effects that were done by Tom Savini, who has done amazing work in other horror films and also has acted in a few classics such as Dawn of the Dead, the original, not that shitty remake, but whatever. He's also acted in Creep Shows 1 and 2, and even from Dust Till Dawn. So there's that. For a film from 1985, it did have a good amount of blood and gore. I like the story of this movie, how everybody's living underground, basically. But it still had a good story. Loved how each one of the asshole soldiers got killed in the bunker, especially that fucker Rhodes, who got ripped to shreds after finding all those zombies. His face and yeah, his face when he sees all these zombies was fucking hilarious. So there's that. The only thing I didn't like was the ending. It was kind of dull and boring for an ending, even a movie that's as old as I am. So yeah. So uh, with that being said, I gave this a five skull rating. Yeah, I can agree with a five because it's a cla- I, not. It is one of the it was one of the standard movies. It's not just a zombie movie. It's the standard zombie movie or one of the standard zombie movies it's one of the maybe two or three that you'd even go to to decide how to make a good zombie movie so it's definitely yeah five skulls mm-hmm. yeah. and and it's the first time you see that um the shovel through the head flip kick watch the skull flop off and then the eyes still moving this is the first movie with that that i remember seeing like we talked about it in one of the other uh review um yeah when we reviews. reviewed um Hansel and Gretel get baked, right? No, it wasn't that movie. It was um, shit, no, I can't remember. It was that Valentine movie, My Bloody Valentine. That's it. My Bloody Valentine. Okay, yeah. Yeah, when that girl yeah. was running away and the killer takes a mini shovel and shoves it right through her mouth. Yep, and then pops the head. Off. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But this is the first movie, and considering this was done back in '85, it was no CGI really with it. It was all just done, you know, cut scenes and um actual like you know prosthetic blood and gore it was done really well it was kind of cool so yeah that's a big bonus you consider that it's not a modern day cgi where they got the computers doing all the work for you and they had a good program or something this is actually done which actually makes it even more important in my opinion yeah that'll be it for day of the dead from 1985 so we'll go on with tim's pick the trees have eyes from 2020 yeah um, Teresa of Eyes starts off, you see this SUV driving and a group of ki- uh, teenagers, it looks like, or something, walking down the road. And they, while, the, while the truck's going by, I mean, it almost looks like it's going to hit them. But when it goes by, they go by, they throw out a can and call a uh, beer can at the kids and call them tree huggers. And then the guy, kid tries to throw back the can and drops up his bottle of water in the process. And then you find out it goes into the, into the SUV. And inside the SUV, it's a group of bounty hunters looking for a killer at some place. I mean, you can tell from everything anyway, but it does describe it as being New England area somewhere. So that said, the acting sounds a little forced. You'll notice this right off the hand. These aren't like, it's, it's feels kind of almost like iPhone shot like movie in this point. But that said, the story plot is vague. They're looking up here for this killer 
randomly and they come up behind this car. The car's pulled up inside the road. Like, did he really just park his car on the side of the road? And it's like, but they don't even know what he's driving. So I'm still trying to figure out really strongly how they know where he is. And this is never explained through the movie. And this to me is like those plot spots where if you start thinking about it too much, don't expect to get the answer to this because it doesn't ever happen to explain why they have a clue where he's at exactly or why they're searching this particular woods for him and they don't know what he's driving or anything. It's just random. The only plot thing you get later is that his mother let them know something about him staying in some woods. But anyhow, they head into the woods as a little commentary back and forth. I mean, the leader of this group is nicknamed Bosk after the bounty hunter in Star Wars that has uh, reptilian is reptilian because apparently Bosk has rough skin uh, from a tattoo artist and stuff. So he got the nickname of that. He's the only one that's important enough because of what happens a little later to really even worry much about the names, because that is one of the things they didn't do is define these. I mean, the other one, the only other one that's kind of memorable and who they are is the cheerleader. You'll find out later, but this is not to diverge, but they go into the woods and they're looking for this guy. So they come upon a tent, this tent, they open it up, not knowing I was going inside and, you know, pull these guns. They're ready to shoot. I mean, obviously this guy's a murderer. Turns out it's just some, some uh, kid, uh, you know, teen, early twenties kid and his girlfriend in there. They're making out and she was naked. So she's covering up and everything. And the kid basically, for lack of a better terminology, turns into kind of a, it's kind of a little bitch about the situation. <laughs> and I, and later on, this comes into play. Um, Anyhow, they apologize. Uh, the one bounty hunter goes over and hands him uh, some uh, some little cash and says, uh, next beer's on us or whatever, and drinks on us and gives him some money and then they leave. And the woman that's with them in this group, that's one of the bounty hunter's uh, girlfriends, she's uh, kind of mortified by the way that they treated, you know, some random people, scared the crap out of them in the woods like that and thought it was rude that they did that and the way they did it they could have actually killed them in an accident she didn't like that she also refuses to carry a gun she wants to use just a taser and non-lethal methods of bring this person in so they wander around uh some more back at the tent you know all of a sudden uh a little while comes by and their friends show up these people's friends show up and they're at a campfire situation uh, at the campfire situation Apparently, she had told her friends about the fact that he was basically a little bitch and they're all picking on him. There's this lesbian couple and then there's uh, another girl that's just there. And then there's the um, there's another girl there dressed as a, as a cheerleader outfit and they refer to her as the cheerleader, which is funny. They don't really refer to her really by name. Well, the cheerleader one just keeps flirting with him saying oh you and trying to pretend like he was all like being a badass or whatever while the others clearly are clued into the fact that he was you know kind of a wuss about the situation and you know the girlfriend obviously notices this so she goes to retire early he goes in and follows her says well i'm not really ready to go to bed yet so i'm gonna go out by the campfire and you get this feeling that you know what's going to happen. And she explains that she, as long as he really goes by the campfire and doesn't, she wants to be able to trust him. He goes out by the campfire with the two lesbians are um, still sitting there. And, you know, they're still talking, getting along great and, and everything. Well, he, when they go out there and this happens, he goes, well, I'm going to go find some camp wood. And they know what's going on. They're like, yep, sure. Roll their eyes at him. 
and he goes off into the woods. Uh, while this is happening, the single girl, the other one, is wandered off and went to uh, the lake and took off all her clothes and was in skinny dipping into the lake. Well, he goes off in there and he he goes and finds the uh, well. Let's get back. They actually go back to the other thing and the bounty hunters and going. They actually during this time capture the guy because they find him, they find his tent and then he gets to jump on them. Um, has a couple of them cornered and then two others of the the bounty hunter squad come up behind him with guns and to his head because he got the jump on the girl who stayed back a little bit and had a knife to her throat so they capture this guy um, and this is where you find out that his mother ratted him out and he was kind of mad about it and everything so that happened um, go back to the other part there um, it goes like i said jumps back and forth at first Jumps back to the other. Of course, the guy's back out in the woods. And he's with the, the cheerleader. They're pretty much getting it on and uh, against the tree. And then they hear um, a scream. So they take off. And this scream is not, it's weird because the scream is turns out to be a real thing. But that happens. He, he goes and wanders off and heads back toward the thing. Oh, here's the other part I forgot. There was a guy, another one other guy. That's one that followed the woman out to the lake. And that's where the scream came from. I was trying to remember because there was an extra death I was trying to place. Anyhow, the guy went out there, found her clothes, started gathering them up and pulling them in um, and hiding them from her. So she, when she came out of the lake, she'd stay naked. Well, as soon as he gathers them up, he drops them and you hear this crushing sound like he'd been picked up in the air and something held him in the air and then you see blood dripping on all the clothes so at this point you're wondering what's going on and then she comes out looking for her clothes and that's when you hear the scream after she sees some like lumbering like figures coming at her that look a little bloody and disfigured well and then it, they attack her and you can they start tearing her apart and you know eating her zombie like fashion and that's when you hear that scream that stops those two from fooling around in the woods. Runs back, they run back to the camp. Um, during this time, the other um, group has a guy and they get attacked as well. And in this process, the boyfriend of the girl, who's also got his dad there as one of the bounty hunters. He's like the seasoned bounty hunter of the group. He gets uh, bit on the arm by one of these people that gets eventually shot. You know, they get hit and stabbed and everything else and they're not dying. But then finally, one of them shoots him in the head and it stop, It kills him. Kills the zombie. At this time, you don't know what's going on. Pretend like you're completely ignorant of any, what a zombie is. And, you know, the guy, he, he had killed the uh, boyfriend slash son. Well, then the boyfriend slash son comes back and starts trying to attack. And this one bounty hunter shoots him in the head as well. Because he's kind of figuring it out real quick what's going on. And, of course, the girlfriend's kind of mad and upset but kind of understands and is comprehending what's going on a little bit. Whereas the father's just flipping out because they killed his son. And, you know, to him, it wasn't that he, something had happened. It's like, you just shot my son in the head. So you got that. You got boss taking off because during this whole struggle, the, the convict that got away, the murderer ran off and boss took off after. Okay. Um, back at the campsite, you know, at this point in time, you have uh, the zombies start, coming in in hordes of numbers and around the campsite you see a little bit but you don't notice it at first because the two uh lesbian couple one of them takes off her shirt and starts to get like they're about to get freaky and uh they pull her off of the other girl and then proceed to chew her up starting with her nipple so that was weird but yeah they 
that happens. The girl goes cat. The other girl goes catatonic. The girlfriend and boyfriend, the original boyfriend girlfriend that were there at that site, um, he grabs a hatchet and starts hacking away a little bit, acting a little bit more manly because they keep yelling at him and the girlfriend there. And uh, the the girlfriend helps save the other girl, even though and they drag her off and they try to stay keep everybody safe at this point. Jump back to the other group. Shows Bosk chasing the other guy. He captures. He gets up to him. You know, they get in a little bit of a uh, fight situation there. He was going to, he was, he beat the crap out of the guy when he caught him. But then the guy gets a knife and stabs him in the back a few times and then runs off again. Well, because he's alone, he wanders off to the, um, towards the lake. You can tell it's like near the beach. He falls against a tree and says, I can't believe I'm going to bleed to death in the middle of the woods. And then it leaves, pans off of him goes back to the other bounty hunter group all right the guy had the um we'll call him the most surviving one he's the one that came on to the, what's going on talks the father and the other girl into going toward the woods uh to the truck and get it ready and go get help because of everything going on and uh they also had another person that was bit uh she had been bit so i needed to get her to the hospital the girlfriend the bounty hunter girlfriend so they're headed towards the, they head toward the car. The other guy's heading toward the screams they heard because um, they overheard some of it. So they all kind of keep going. The um, girlfriend of the uh, couple that were in the woods is still traveling with the girl. They She gets tired and asks him to take over for a little while. And he's like, let's just leave her behind. And she's like, no. And then they have a little bit of an attack thing there. So, and they get away and she runs ahead a little bit. And the boyfriend apparently leaves and decides to leave the girl behind because he just doesn't want to deal with her and lets her get eaten alive. And then she wakes up finally out of Captain's state as she's getting chewed up alive. And then you're down to the, just the two there. Goes back over the other. Um, the other two are headed toward the truck. They get there as he's like fighting off some zombies as they get to the truck. The father of the bounty hunter that got shot in the head. Um, fighting off some zombies taking out some rage on him really to be honest with you and she's walking towards the car but looking really not so well as a zombie starts headed toward her you think oh she's gonna get eaten and she gets this blank look on her face starts just wandering and like weaving in place and the other zombie stops walking at her and walks right by her as she drops the keys because she just turned so did just right at the truck like right at the back of the truck so you 10 more feet she would have been in the vehicle and then um while that happens the girlfriend uh, the the uh, the guy that was in the camping site they wound up getting back together there and she realizes that he left her behind they get in a little bit of a fight over it as they make it to the car he he tells her that he's just she tells him that he's a piece of crap they shouldn't have done that and she's gonna tell everybody and that was a mistake he hits her knocks her down Walks, walks to the car and takes off and leaves her. Well, thankfully, at this point, the other bounty hunter finally finds her. So at least she's not alone. And you don't hear anything more. And then they decide he can't believe that she got left behind. And no, oh, wait a minute. He doesn't find her there. He finds her up the road. She wanders off, runs down the road. That's right. Um, They're not quite together yet. Sorry about that. Jump the gun. He shows up at the truck, sits back against the truck, thinking that the SUV and thinks, great, I'm stuck because it's locked. As he sits there, he looks down and realizes the keys are on the ground, gets the vehicle, starts driving down the road. 
she gets a ways down the road, finds a vehicle. There's a guy dead out in the back of it. Can't find the keys. Uh, she finds the keys in a backpack, gets ready to start it. It won't start. It's surrounded by zombies all around. You can tell she kind of just had kind of come to terms with the fact she's just going to die. So she kind of lost it when almost almost catatonic herself for a moment there. Um, the guy comes along the road with the SUV, shoots all the zombies, lets her go in the truck, which she almost acts bewildered. I, I, I do like this, although it does act, the acting's not the greatest. I like the way they added, wait, you're not going to just leave me? Because she'd just been left before. It's kind of almost a laughable moment. So it's, at the same time, it's like realistic. You know, she'd been left. Emphasize on that. And he goes, no, and she gets in and they get driving down the road and they, he decides to go to a house that he saw. He saw a house um, and wanted to call for help and see if there's anything and, or at least see if there's any supplies or anything. At this point, you are talking about just the two of them anyway, but they get to this house, they go inside, they start rampaging through everything. And she finds a phone, cell phone that has service in the drawer all the circuits are busy. He tries to explain to her, this is probably not an isolated incident. What we've seen so much of this, this is probably worldwide. Everybody's probably busy dealing with it if they're not just dead. You know, basically that plot line comes back to, I think someone might've watched that original one that uh, Lando already mentioned tonight because it feels like that kind of feeling, like your realization. As they're doing this, um, two girls and a guy come out in the back at, from the back and the guy has a shotgun, tells him not to open this other door. Um, so they, you know, after a little bit of it, the guy, the guy finally puts down the shotgun and the guy opens the door anyway. And it turns out that it's like the, the two girls that were there, it was their father. And he's the boyfriend of one of the girls. Well, at this point, you kind of get a feel like the boyfriend, but they'd really just met. Um, but it was their father and he, the bounty hunter, of course, shoots him in the head. In the end, putting him out of his misery, but you can imagine seeing, like, like it gets described in there, seeing your dad die twice. Not only did he die, but he just shot in the head, so he technically dies twice in front of you. So it's kind of traumatizing to them. Well, they wind up going with them because they hear about this from these guys. They turn on the radio and there's a farm. Um, this is where you find out it's Vermont, by the way. Um, there's a farm down the road that you know is supposed to be the safe haven. And I don't know why I live in Vermont. So I don't know why they always pick Vermont to be a safe haven because whatever. <laughs> it's always the case. Living in Vermont, I can tell you, um, there might be better places. Upstate New York, like true upstate New York would actually be better in my opinion. It's a little more secluded. But you get there and you, I mean, they take off down the road. They get in an accident. Now this makes no sense. You hear a car crash, like a real crash, but then it pans out to the SUV being stuck like it ran over a zombie. Not hit any of the vehicles, just ran over a zombie and they're off wandering off into the woods. All of them scattered. Well, winds up the bounty hunter, the guy that was with the two girls and the, uh, and the gr girlfriend of the guy that was in the tent are the ones that wind up together. And then the two girls wind up on their own together. Once they find each other again, well, they, yeah, it took a little while for them to find each other, but then they decide to hide out. And they're, they're, of course the guy, other guy wants to find them again. And he really likes the one girl. And he, I think he's been with those guys for a few days, probably a day or two at least, and really cares for one of them. Well, the two girls are sitting in a hide in this truck bed. Strategically, I have no idea why these zombies aren't just getting to them. I, I, I'm confused at this point. You know, at this point, they just kind of gave up on options. Okay, 
which is going to be a rating part of it for rating late. They gave up on auctions. It's like, well, I don't know exactly what to do. We don't have the budget for anything. So let's just put them in the back of a truck bed and let them watch people get killed because some guy comes along and a soldier comes along and he gets eaten alive in front of them. Well, anyhow, they're about to get eaten alive um, by these zombies that are starting to horde toward them. So she reaches down. And it looks like she's cutting herself. And I thought that's just kind of weird. Pans out. She did cut herself in her wrist after she sliced her sister's throat so that they would both die and wouldn't feel the pain and hopefully not turn. So that's sad. Um, and I was hoping that they would you know, make it there or something because they seem like really decent people. Anyhow, that happens. While the others are trying to figure out what to do and they wind up get, finding a car at the at the uh, when they get to the farm, it's overran. Like they realize that most of the people are either doctors or military people. That's already been overrun. So of this fleet of cars, they find one car without keys that they decide they can pop start, which I'm not sure how they can pop start it without keys and still run it or even turn the steering wheel. I'm confused on it, but okay. So the bounty hunters drives, drives, uh, the girl sits in the front for the most part and gets out for a minute to start helping. And the other guy decides to help push the car to get it running. He gets attacked by the zombies, pulled out, killed. And the bounty hunter goes, he knew the risk. It was a bounty hunter's idea to get him out there to push the car. So it's not so much he knew the risk is you're okay with him dying. Sorry, that was a little bit cold, but they, uh, take off down the road and they're going to look for another place and yeah hey um we don't really know what happens after that they just kind of drive off like okay and yay i don't know it was it it was it was halfway decent ish until they got to that point where you could tell they just like oh we're out of budget now we're gonna just make random things happen the zombies themselves the the acting was a pretty good it wasn't bad i've seen some bad ones where you have issues and then you have other, I mean, the gore, I like the fact it wasn't all CGI. It was a little weird. Um, like, this is a problem with a lot of zombie movies. All of a sudden, you'll see, like, fingers just be able to go right through flesh. Like, when, and they just paw. But they're pawing so softly, but yet tears flesh apart and not a lot of biting. And, and But then again, there was the biting, the nipple biting. Actually, to be honest with you, that was a pretty good scene. Um, weird, but <laughs> good scene. But yeah, that's kind of how I felt about the movie. It's kind of like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> what do you think, Lando? Oh, first of all, it had titties. Lots of titties, yes. There were lots of titties in this movie. Yes. A lot of titty biting in this movie, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> yeah. both of the women that showed their tops and that were around part of that campsite got their titties bitten. That's why I'm saying, is it like, was that an instinctual thing for these zombies that go for the titties first? Because they didn't bite the nipples. I didn't bite the necks on these people. They went for the titties. It's kind of weird. Yeah. But yeah, that's my first thought, obviously. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I loved that lesbian scene, even if they got interrupted by one of them getting killed by a horde of zombies. Had an okay amount of blood and gore. Wish the graphics were better. Yeah, I wish the graphics were better made then maybe this movie would have been a lot better the fight scenes looked fake as hell like whenever somebody got punched you could tell it was not real the makeup effects weren't the greatest but weren't the worst the story itself it was pretty good but it could have been done a lot better and my final thought the ending of this thing sucked i hate cliffhangers that just lead you to think what happened to the characters in the end 
I just hate that. And apparently a lot of people hated this movie too because I could not find information at all. Rotten Tomato, they didn't even have it on their website. Google, nothing. Couldn't find a budget for this movie. Couldn't find box office scores, nothing. So with that being said, I gave this movie a 3.5. If it had better fight scene, better graphics, I would have gave this maybe at least a 4, maybe a 4.5, but I'm standing at a 3.5 skulls. I would also concur with the 3.5. It's, I mean, we're getting more used to this. I'm finding myself in the same realm as you almost every time. Yeah, 3.5 might, and an added part that annoyed me, like I said, it kind of almost didn't have a budget or whatever. And they just, like, that truck bed scene was just, it irritates, grab me. They climb in the back of a, not just a truck bed, but a, like an abandoned truck bed that's kind of sitting on a hill. So getting into it was as easy as walking up and stepping in. But yet that's where they're hiding in plain sight and can see these zombies within like 15, 20 feet of them and they don't attack them. I That's like, what? And like you said, the fight scenes. The best punch in this movie was when she slapped the guy, the boyfriend and then got knocked, clocked. That was the best thrown punch in the movie that looked realistic. Um, that and when Boss got knifed by the guy, that would actually would look fairly realistic. Like he got him from the back. Those are the only two points where made sense like even the gun if you really pay attention a lot of times the the bounty hunter there the one would shoot at people in the head and a couple times the gun was aimed a little off so it would never hit the guy let alone shot him in the head those type of things i don't know about you but those are those little things that can drive you crazy throughout a movie so Mm -hmm. yeah 3.5 skulls i agree with you 100 it's watchable it is watchable yeah maybe once but yep yeah but anyways um I think that's it for this episode. If you guys have any movie suggestions, as always, you can email us at whatinthewarpodcast at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Twitter. That's whatinthewarpodcast, all one word. And as always, I've been Lando. And I've been Tim. And we're the fuck out of here. You were listening to What in the Whore. See you next time. <laughs>